everyone, and welcome to From Tip to Tail, a podcast dedicated to animal welfare. This podcast is sponsored by Cuddly. Cuddly is the only crowdfunding platform built specifically for animal welfare organizations worldwide. I'm Bridget. And I'm Sydney. We've spent years working with animal rescues and have seen such amazing innovation, strength, and heart. Having this personal connection with rescuers has made us more informed, grateful, and inspired. We hope by giving you an inside look, you will be too. We are so happy to welcome John Daly of Soy Dog International back onto the podcast to speak specifically on the dog meat trade. This episode is airing on the week that the Yulin Dog Festival occurred every year, so it is especially timely. If you like this episode, be sure to click that subscribe button so that you can listen in on similar stories. Let's go ahead and get started. Hi there, John. How are you? Hello again. Yeah, nice to speak to you. I'm fine. Yeah, busy, but uh, fine. It felt like we got cut short in our last uh, conversation, so I'm so happy we got a chance to to have that talk um, and really to clue people in on everything that you've been doing up to this point, how you established Soy Dog and and where you've really evolved from there. But I know one of your main points that you've really gone into is a lot to do with the dog meat trade. So we did really want to dedicate an entire episode to talking about it. So I'm wondering if maybe you can, you want to kick it off from there. Sure. I mean, just from the outset, the dog meat trade, one thing everybody's agreed on uh, is that it is a horrendous business, uh, which is what it is. It's It's a business. And the cruelty involved and everything about it is bad. But how you handle it, opinions can differ. And I want to state from the outset that these, what you hear from me is my opinions, and they don't necessarily agree with everybody else's, but everybody needs to make their own mind up as to what is what is the correct way of handling it and what isn't. I'm speaking as somebody who's been involved with it now for many years. We have been successful, as you know, in ending the dog meat trade in Thailand. That was in 2014 after three years of working on it. That was as a result of a few things which I can go into. It's also since that time, it's been banned in Taiwan, uh, where there was a fairly small trade. Other than that, it continues to occur in all the countries in Asia where it has occurred for many years. But it's worth noting that in most countries now, demand has fallen. And one of the reasons for that is because of the work of local activists and also because there is a change in attitudes generally across Asia. The pet industry is a huge growth industry in Asia. It's far far bigger than anywhere else in the world. As a result of that, obviously, and the influence of the media, Western media, films and TV, younger people also, obviously, with education, have become far more aware of animal welfare and the environment. And so the attitude has changed predominantly amongst young people. And it's fairly true to say that the majority of dogs and cats that are eaten in Asia now are more eaten by the older generation or by poorer people in uh, villages where it's it's still going on widely amongst uh, the the whole concept, but more less educated people, put it that way in hill tribe villages, et cetera. So that's why I'd come out and start with saying, now, where we probably differ from most organizations, and I have to state this quite categorically, is that we do not believe in buying dogs from dog meat traders. So, and we don't believe necessarily also in buying out dog meat farms. And I'll explain why. In reality, it's a commodity business, the dog meat trade. It's whether it's legal or illegal, it is driven by demand and supply and demand. If demand goes down, so the price of dog meat goes down and the demand for it decreases. What we've seen over the years is that in certain situations. And Yulin is a good example. For example, the Yulin Festival was banned three years ago. Not many people know that by the local authority. People still think it continues to this day as it used to. The reality is dog meat is available in Yulin. Yulin is a big city. It's not a small town. It's a big city. 
And there's over 170, the last count, dog meat restaurants in Yulin that are open 365 days a year. But there are markets in Yulin all selling dog meat. And what has happened really is that the, the Yulin festival was started to, in effect, encourage the dog meat festival. It was originally called a lychee festival and it became the lychee and dog meat festival in re- relatively recent times to actually boost the dog meat trade. But local activists and again, foreigners coming in have created such a storm around it. The authorities, in effect, banned all government workers from attending and in reality have banned the actual festival. Does that mean it is stopped altogether? No, it doesn't. But I can tell you the main driver now for the dog, the actual festival dates are actually, and this sounds awful to say, but are activists because people are going in there and raising huge amounts of money on the back of Yulin. And what they're doing is buying large numbers of dogs. So what is happening is, and I can tell you, I know a, a reporter from the Daily Mail told this three years ago, the hotel he was staying at, was it no, five years ago now, sorry, my time flies, where he was staying at, staff were asking for time off to go into villages to buy dogs, to bring them back to sell to activists because the prices being paid were astronomical, far higher than the value of the dogs would be in the meat trade. And what happens to those dogs? Hundreds of these dogs are are rescued, inverted commas. Most of them, sadly, are dead within a month or two of being rescued because there are no good shelters, particularly in China. And often the dogs are abandoned in places like Buddhist monasteries where they don't really have care, proper care for them, or they don't even believe in things like vaccinating. We got involved a few years ago with 200 dogs that have been amongst several hundred, again, rescued by uh, an American guy who was quite well known at the time. These dogs were abandoned. 200 of them were abandoned. And supporters of the guy actually took over those dogs and built a temporary shelter for them and appealed to us to help to get them to the States. We helped with that. We wouldn't help with buying the dogs or anything like that from traders. We, w- we helped in that issue. But that's as far as it goes with us. We had a similar situation in Korea, where after the, the authorities have closed a market in a city in Korea, in protest, dog farmers dumped dogs on the site of the former market square. And the local authority therefore put them into kennels, into cages, and local activists tried to help the dogs. And again, we helped in the financing to get those dogs properly rescued. But that's after the event. The reason that we don't get involved ourselves in buying dogs or buying them out is quite simply because what is happening in those countries is not illegal at this stage. Generally speaking, it is legal. Some certain laws can be broken and they need jumping on. But the reality is, generally speaking, in those countries, no law. it's not illegal at the moment. And the reality is, whatever this demand for dogs are, will be met. So if you go in as an activist and buy one dog or several hundred dogs, in my opinion, you are encouraging the death of more dogs because those dogs will be replaced. And to give you an idea also what's happening in Korea, where demand is again falling, there are an estimated 17,000 dog meat farms in Korea. Now, Again, it's a business driven by supply and demand. It's not illegal at this stage. So what is happening is that you do see certain cases of organizations, big organizations are now asking for donations to close a dog meat farm down by buying the farmer out. But what is happening, therefore, is that a lot of money is raised on the back of the dog meat trade. I have to tell you that because it is a very emotive subject. People want to get um, involved and they want to try and do something to help. And the way they think they can help is by donating to rescue dogs from a market or from Yulin or something like that to buy dogs. And I'll give you an example of how that happened also in Thailand a few years ago, what happened with that. Is it necessary? Does it make a difference? This is the question. Now, there'll be those who argue, and it's 
a valid argument that by rescuing, shutting down a dog meat farm or by rescuing dogs at Yulin, it does generate publicity which highlights the trade. And that is true um, to a certain extent. But bear in mind, most of the publicity that you see generated in shutting down the farms in Korea is in the West. It's not covered particularly in Korea. So it's more happening in the West where the publicity of these dogs being shipped, you know, hundreds of dogs being shipped to America, where sadly we have it on, I know for a fact and have evidence of the fact that a lot of these dogs, having been shipped at great expense to America, entire aircraft costing hundreds of thousands of dollars have been hired to ship hundreds of dogs to the States. Many are then euthanized quietly in the States. Why? Because they're totally unadoptable, a lot of these dogs. They're Sadly, they've been so badly treated, they've been incarcerated in a small cage for their entire lives, breeding other dogs for the dog meat trade. That's just a fact of life. But they're not euthanized in Korea because the publicity elements of that would be too bad. So it's quietly done in the US or Canada. And that happens. People need to be aware of that. And I think you need to be aware of the huge amounts of money that are spent on that. In my opinion, that money would be far better spent on lobbying, on advertising in countries, in the actual country where it exists, to get pressure on the authorities to make the trade illegal. There's never been a better time than now with the COVID outbreak being linked to uh, zoonotic diseases, that's diseases that are transmissible from animals to humans, to put pressure on the authorities. And that we've seen already working in China, where already two, two large cities in China have banned the trade, and where the government have recognized for the first time that dogs and cats are companion animals and not livestock. Now, that in itself does not mean an end to the dog meat trade, but it's a start. And by continuing to support local groups or actively campaigning, that to me is the way to go to be buying, continuing to buying dogs because they can't keep buying dogs and putting them into shelters in China. There isn't just the room for them. So what they're focusing on or need to be focusing on is illegal transports where, for example, dogs are being transported in an illegal manner and seizing those dogs. And it's a reality that, again, to come back to Korea, there are estimated to be in excess of 2 million dogs at any one time in dog meat farms in Korea. The peaky time for consumption is the hot summer months, the bok night months, as they're known. But the reality is, of course, the government understand that they cannot just ban the, the industry overnight. Politically, it's a democratic country, Korea, and it could damage their political standing of the, of the government. So they have to be careful about it. But it's, again, a case of changing the hearts and minds of the Korean people. Now, if it was banned tomorrow, what would happen to those 2 million plus dogs? The reality is, of course, is that they would never ban it overnight. They would probably say we will be banning it from such and such a date the following year or whatever, which gives a chance for the traders to get, sadly, to get rid of those dogs through the business, but not breeding more. If it did happen that they were, um, they stopped it overnight, which you say would never happen, I don't believe then there's no way 2 million plus dogs are going to be adopted to the US. It's just not, it's not going to happen. And the reality is that these dogs, Koreans, do not adopt large dogs because of the way they live, most of them in apartments, they're only interested in these very tiny dogs, very, and they don't actually even look upon the dog meat dogs as pets. The reality is it would be large-scale, probably, euthanasia. You have to ask yourself, my opinion, as hard as it sounds, if it ends the dog meat trade for, forever, then euthanizing dogs that are in a humane manner in those farms would be preferable to the, them being going off to be sold for dog meat. But that probably won't be a choice we have. Now, we at the moment are focusing, it's been COVID as core with the travel restrictions in this area caused havoc over the last year. We're focusing on, on Vietnam at present, because Vietnam is one country where local people are not in a position to do anything much about it because of the regime there. 
and also because it's growing in Vietnam, sadly, particularly the cat industry and the dog meat industries. It's spread throughout the country. People don't realize that in Vietnam, as in many countries, dog meat was not, has never been historically a part of their culture. Only for small numbers, hill tribe people in the north. It was during the what they termed the War of Independence, the American War, whatever you want to call it, during food shortages, etc., and also introduction by Chinese military advisors in the north that dog meat became more popular in the north of the country. If you look at the records at the time, there was no history at all in the south of Vietnam. But post-war, since people, officials have moved, then it's grown into the south of the country as well. And we're focusing on Vietnam, particularly on Hanoi at the moment. We have a survey going on at the moment, which we're financing. And this involves the Department of Animal Health with the blessing of the People's Committee of Hanoi, going to all establishments, either slaughtering or selling dogs, getting a record of it because the conditions are horrendous. And we're going to be focusing on the health aspects and trying to be able to get a ban in force based on the health aspects, as opposed to the cruelty. Because the cruelty, people, is in any country of the world, animals are slaughtered, and often in inhumane ways, even in the West. But we ignore it. We don't think about it. Well, most people, I'm saying we, I mean, you know what I'm saying, generally speaking, the population don't think about it. And it's the same in Vietnam when it comes to dog meat. Some people aren't bothered there at all, I mean, but others don't think about it. They just eat it. And again, it's, but it's linked with superstition and it's been the dog meat sellers and whatever market dog meat has been good for your health and it's going to give, make you strong. And in times of cold, it will make you warm. Whereas in Korea, of course, it's sold in the heat the summer months when it's hottest because it will cool the blood. All these, none of these things are true, but it's what people believe and it's fostered. And also in Vietnam, the time when dog meat is eaten fluctuates a lot over the course of the month between to do with the lunar cycle. So again, it's to do with luck and good luck. And these are sort of things we have to ingrained in people. But we believe there's a t- potential using the health aspects to get across that it is actually dangerous to eat dog meat, which it is because there have been outbreaks of cholera and trichinosis, et cetera, in Hanoi over the years. We can't use rabies a lot. We know already from tests we had carried out, survey we had carried out in Hanoi, that a significant number of these dogs are carrying rabies and they're brought from all over the country and also from, we believe, still from outside the country, notably Cambodia. And we also know cats are coming in from China. Now, the reality is, though, that once a dog is actually providing it's properly cooked, then you will destroy the rabies virus. But nevertheless, the people working with the dog or if they're buying the meat and handling it can still contact. So there have been cases of rabies amongst people who, and the only reason is through consuming or handling dog meat in Hanoi. So that's what we're focusing on. What the common denominator here is always about the law. It's getting the law changed. Once you get the law on your side, then you can do more direct action. And that's what we did in Thailand. So, and to change the law in Thailand, specifically around dog meat, was a lot of hard work, but also an element of luck, which I'll come into. But in Thailand in 2011, I mean, the first I knew about the dog meat trade was back in about 2007. In Thailand, this was um, when I saw a photo of a truck crammed with over a thousand dogs broken down on the side of the road in Laos. And it was in the local Bangkok Post, and it just a caption, the dog meat trade from Thailand. And I, and I said, what? The first I knew about it, it was called often referred to, and we used did a film about it called The Shadow Trade, because it's not widely known outside of the Isan area in northeast Thailand. Dog meat traditionally is consumed, is consumed by hill tribe people in the far north around Chiang Rai, Chiang Mai, as they grew prospered and grew, particularly with the opium trade many years ago. They moved into the towns and cities and 
whatever, and brought that with them. But in the past, there were just nomadic hill tribe people who would slaughter excess dogs for food at certain festivals. That's what happened. And it's similar in the north of Vietnam. But it was, in 2011, illegal to move dogs from one province to another, and certainly from outside of Thailand to another country, without proof of vaccination against rabies. So this was the loophole we were able to use within Thailand, start intercepting particularly trucks of dogs that were going to Vietnam. At that time, up to the Thai Veterinary Association estimated up to half a million dogs a year were being smuggled across to Vietnam. And under the noses of the authorities, who sadly are paying, you know, there's a very lot of corruption here in Asia, police are poorly paid. And so they're paid off and to turn a blind eye. And it was accepted. Even politicians looked upon it as a way of keeping the dogs, number of stray dogs down in that part of the world, part of Thailand in the northeast. So the Isan area was also settled, particularly around one town known as Sakom Nakom, which was like the capital of the dog meat trade with Vietnam. Very unusual town, populated predominantly by over the years, refugees from Vietnam, obviously often religious persecution. It has its own Roman Catholic cathedral and a nunnery there, very unusual in Thailand. And that was the capital of the dog meat trade in uh, Nakon, um, Sakon Nakon province. And the Mekong River, very close by. And so dogs would be sent across on long-tailed boats from trucks to long-tailed boats and then loaded onto trucks either side for the journey to Vietnam. So we started by recruiting local people to give information to where these trucks were going and when and started to organize interceptions of the trucks. We were paying rewards, use that in terms of inverted commas. Some people may consider that wrong. But if you're fighting corruption from one side, quite often what we did was we would offer rewards for the number of dogs intercepted and successful prosecutions. So that's what we did. And through that, we started to get large-scale numbers of dogs intercepted. I won't go into the issues with that and the fact that we had to build a huge shelter up in the northeast of Thailand. And sadly, a lot of dogs died from disease, starvation, etc., because they were looked after by, uh, taken in by the government at what they called livestock quarantine centers, which were to- totally unequipped to deal with thousands of dogs. We did everything we could to try and change that situation, but that's a topic for another day, maybe. Now, the reality is, is that we were using, though, the law, so we could do that. And then we had a stroke of luck, and I say luck can often come in, and people might think it odd to say a military coup was a stroke of luck. But in early 2014, another coup happened in Thailand, the military took over. And they were keen to pass through Parliament popular laws to basically make themselves look better. And there were a number of laws on the statute books, including the animal welfare law, which had been struggling to go through Parliament for many years, because every time Parliament was closed, a new one came in, it had to start again from scratch. And it wasn't seen as an urgent law. The government, though, then, the the military government, we had meetings with them, and I was actually one of the very few foreigners to be able to address the Thai parliament and sit on a committee there. And we managed to get the original Thailand animal welfare law passed, the first animal welfare law, in 2014, which specifically um, bans the consumption of animals not considered livestock. So that's the wording of it, but that includes, obviously, dogs, cats, for meat, which in effect banned dog meat in Thailand. And we were therefore able to start closing down local restaurants and everything else involved with it, local slaughterhouses. Now, I'm not saying there is no dog, nobody's eating dog meat in Thailand anymore. Certainly there will be, but it's very low key and small numbers. It's like with drugs, you make drugs illegal, doesn't mean people stop taking drugs and harden People will probably still go out and try and catch dogs, kill them and eat them. But it's, it's small. And if we find evidence of it, then we still pursue it. So it's very small. But again, the point I'm getting across is the law was on our side. 
So this is why I'm trying to get across, really, is that to, to make a huge difference, you need to get the law changed first and foremost, as we did in Thailand, as they've done in Taiwan, as is the case in Singapore, Hong Kong, Malaysia, but not yet in Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, China, Korea. So to my mind, the problem is raising funds to do that. It's expensive to run programs like that. We, once we finish this survey, we got all the results in it, presented to the People's Committee. Then we will begin a big campaign, almost a propaganda campaign in Hanoi, based on changing the mind, hearts and minds of people to get across and to encourage, the, by doing that, to help the government in actually banning it, calling an end to it. But people don't donate money to things like that. So it's expensive and we have to try and raise funds. People do raise money when they see a dog pictured in a cage and say, yes, I will. Thousands of people will come and say, I want to rescue that dog. We even saw it in Thailand. We had local, sadly, not honest Thai people who, was, who were actually advertising and they would get dogs. They would say they would take dogs out of these government shelters, which they did but they would get them out. But the people who were out paying them quite a lot of money to do that were not paying to adopt them. They thought by paying to get them out, the dog was free. The reality is those dogs, many of them died from distemper and other diseases. And the ones that uh, survived were just dumped in temples around Bangkok. So that's what the same situation sort of happening. And sadly, there are corrupt people in China and you difficult to know sometimes for somebody how who you can support who you can't support i'm not mentioning names here but anybody who's familiar with you in the scene films of a chinese woman wringing her hands and pleading for dogs lives that woman is a lives in the north of china is a millionaire and the dogs that she gets most are lived lived went to appalling circumstances most of them dead she doesn't care a thing about dogs her daughter, who runs the business side of it, they are very wealthy people, but they come across, they're good actors, and they don't care anything about dogs. So you've got to be very careful and cautious in knowing who you're supporting. And there are some wonderful groups in China, young people who are going out, risking you know, life and limb sometimes to try and intercept trucks when they know those trucks are breaking a law, because if they don't have the proper paperwork, they're illegal. So they're doing that. But it's knowing, you know, these are not always well organized. It's knowing who to support and who not to support. So it's very difficult for people. And how you handle it is very different. So I'm, I'm wondering, from somebody who has the first, more so firsthand experience with these dog meat trades, compared to someone like me who has lived in California her entire life, I've never been overseas. I've never witnessed something like that. However, I do see the articles. I do see all of the advertisements of the dog meat trade, are there, from somebody who has seen it firsthand, are there any misconceptions that maybe I'm getting exposed to, any myths that you can kind of touch base on when it comes to the dog meat trade? There is a certain number of, look, again, well-known in America, I mean, it's certainly been exposed in the press and whatever. I mean, this is how low some people can get, was actually paying people to, so, to torture dogs making phony films, videos of dogs being tortured, uh, burned with flamethrowers and burnt alive. Mm -hmm. And because knowing that that would generate huge protests and would generate huge amounts of income. Do those actions actually happen in the meat trade or were these those things that people were perpetrating? That happened, I mean, in the last few years. Does it still go on? I haven't seen much lately of it. But people, and there is, we're on, there is cruelty involved in the dog. There is cruelty. I mean, we've just been, we have, uh, we're documenting a lot of what's that's happening on this survey. And video that we've filmed in, that's been filmed now in Hanoi in slaughterhouses, we won't be sharing as video. It's, it's too mm-hmm. horrific. I mean, we're not about, and this is the thing, it's a case of people need to be aware that it is cruel it is horrific but it's people will say dogs are deliberately tortured that's not general Mm -hmm. 
it's not general. They're not tortured because, oh, you know, we want to inflict pain on this animal. Because generally speaking, they want to kill the animal. Torturing an animal is going to make it harder. They're always trying to make money. There is, there was, amongst certain hill, you know, of certain small groups of people that that cause inflicting pain before death actually uh, increases the adrenaline flow, which improves, some people say, improves the flavor, others the texture of the meat. How true that is, if you speak to some people involved in animal welfare in Asia, they say that is not, the, that is not true. I've seen evidence that it could be in a small number of cases. Generally speaking, though, the methods of killing can be cruel, are cruel. And whether it's electrocution, drowning, or whatever, but quite often it's cruel. It depends what your definition of cruelty is. You know, is it, there's a difference between sadistic cruelty and cruelty that is just an action that is cruel, but the person themselves just thinks it's normal. Mm-hmm. One person thinks is normal, another person would be horrified at. And that happens even in, whether you like it or not, happens in some slaughterhouses in, we've probably all been exposed to visions of some of the activities in slaughterhouses in in the United States. Mm -hmm. And in Vietnam, there have been festivals where literally pigs have been in the marketplaces hacked in two or one thing and another. And then in Western countries like Spain, you have these village fest fiestas where cruelty to animals forms a part of it, from hurling goats off the top of the bell tower and stoning animals and things. That's all it's coming to an end. But they don't think, because they consider something is normal, not necessarily think it's cruel. And that applies with the killing of dogs and cats, whichever method is used, or it's electrocution, and particularly dogs are killing in front of the dogs. I mean, you'll see, well, we won't show it, but the in the slaughterhouses where we're filming, literally, there's a cage full of dogs, and then as a guy, he'll club a dog over the head at times, he might be stunned or whatever, slit its throat, chuck it out, and that's in t- front of other dogs. Now, that itself is cruel. Other dogs literally defecating and peeing themselves out of fear and they can't get away because dogs are, you know, sentient beings. They know what's happening. It's not that they're ignorant of the fact that that dog has just been killed and they're not, you know, they have enough mm-hmm. to realise it's happening to them. And then you see, and I've seen pictures in films, actually, again, a friend of mine, reporter, a male literally and was in Streets of Saigon a few years ago filming an article for the Mail on Sunday or the Daily Mail. Literally, yeah, they were dragging a dog out of the cage and the dog was still alive when it was thrown into boiling water, you know, water to loosen the skin. And then what they do, they loosen the skin in the boiling water and then it's thrown into what they call a deferring machine, which is a bit like a very fast old-fashioned spin dryer, but with lumps in it, which rips the final fur off and the dog comes out nice white and clean before it's then singed and burned in straw to... And that whole process goes on in the slaughterhouses in filthy conditions. I mean, the filth and squalor in it is absolutely horrendous, never mind the anything else, which is why we can, again, be using this as evidence to the authorities of the dangers of it. I mean, there's just no control. You see, what people don't realise is where, although dog meat trade is not illegal in these, most of these countries, it's also not recognised officially. Dogs are not considered livestock in places like Vietnam, Korea, and so on. So they're not even afforded the protection of livestock because most of these countries do have some laws, same as they do in the West, regarding livestock, and that regards how they're transported, how they're slaughtered, everything else. And they need, you know, government vets. That's their self. In some of these countries, their sole function is inspecting meat and giving, making sure they are correct standard. Dogs, cats, no, they're not. So none of the places are inspected. You know, so there's no licensing of them. Mm-hmm. Now you've mentioned cats a few times, and I feel like it's pretty startling to me. So there is a cat meat trade as well. Yeah, particularly it's more in some countries than others, but you'll find little bits of cat meat for sale in. Countries like Korea, but you don't see cat farms to my knowledge. I'm not aware of any. 
Vietnam, it's a growth industry. They call it little tiger stew, for example. I can send you a photo. You'll see at the side of the road, you'll see cages with live dogs and cats in and then dead ones on top of them. You know, I mean, that are being sold for meat. And literally, they pull, as they need more, they pull them out and kill them. Most now are supplied from these slaughterhouses and delivered. But cats, yeah, and the common may have, quite a common way of killing cats. They put them all in a cage and just drop the cage into, literally into water. And so they're, they're drowned. And so, again, cruel, but that's driven out of practicality. They can kill God knows how many cats in a big cage in one go without risking themselves getting scratched or clawed. So as I'm saying, that is a cruel way of killing, mass drowning. But if you go back far enough to New York City in the eight, late 1800s and early 1900s, you'll know, or if you don't know already, you know, do now that the way they would euthanize street dogs that they caught was putting them in a big cage and literally in a crane down into the Hudson River and pull it out. You know, after five minutes, the dogs were dead. That's how it was done back in New York. We'd come on. Now, you know, and again, that's a different subject altogether, but after literally hundreds of years of keeping records of no matter how many dogs that were killed in New York City, the number went up year on year. And it wasn't until low-cost sterilization came on in the 50s that numbers started to level off and then decline. Until today, there are very few, only dangerous dogs really that end up being euthanized and then humanely in, in New York. It's, it's a good case study. But in terms of back to the dog meat trade, so what is considered cruel is generally it's about what is going to What's the easiest way and cheapest way of killing? And often clubbing and going with dogs, you know, grabbing, they have these, seen these big claw things, that metal claw things, grab them around the neck so they can't struggle and then kill them. And they club them over the head, whether they're properly dead when they then cut the throats to bleed them out and one thing or another is another matter. Other places where they use rods, electrical rods, which they'll just literally electrocute the dog. But that, again, it's not instant. It takes it's, its time and often it maybe and then they'll pull the dog out and that's what happened in Hanoi on that street seat. Dog was clearly still alive, but then probably just to make a point to the reporter because he was annoyed, the, the guy, threw the dog into uh, the hot water while it's still alive. And, yeah, you'll see pictures from China of dogs being stuffed into pots of boiling water. But generally speaking, to put a dog into a big vat of water when it's alive is, would be a lot harder than if it's stunned. So generally speaking, they will, the most common way is to stun them by hitting them over the head with a heavy object. That's the general way what you'll see. And don't be wrong, you know, if you go into Hanoi and you see these dogs in cages, I mean, I, mean, I have, it's recurring visions, dreams of things I've seen in the dog meat trade, they will never go away. And it's very difficult. I understand people who go to a dog, they see a dog for sale, you know, maybe they're tourists. And we've got calls from people, I want to buy this dog, can you take this dog? If I buy this dog out of this cage, I'm saying, you know, it sounds hard, but the reality is I would love to when I go back to be able to, I mean, I could never have taken Jill, my late wife, to somewhere like that because literally she would have attacked physically attacked the stallholders and got arrested, you know, got us arrested and everything else. It's so, you want to, you know, you see a dog looking up at you from a cage, you know it's going to happen to that dog the next day too. You want to take that dog. But the reality is, if you take that dog, they've sold another. You're keeping, you're fueling the trade and another one's going to take its place. So you've, you don't think that way, but yeah, you've got another dog's death on your conscience by saving that one. So it's a case of you've got to be realistic. And the object is, is to get this to change, to change the hearts and minds of the people, which is a, a slow job, but also to have laws introduced by the governments to change. And to my mind, that is where people now, and I don't see enough of it, organizations who are working in specific countries we can't spread ourselves too thinly, otherwise you succeed in doing nothing. Very expensive, obviously, and Thailand is our focus. In terms of dog meat trade, Vietnam and Cambodia. 
But at the moment, Cambodia, it's now been banned in Siem Reap, and that was partly to do with a group who we are financially supporting in Cambodia. So it's been banned in Siem Reap. That's the tourist town where Angkor Wat is. But the rest of Cambodia is still going on, and dogs, pretty sure, are being exported also into Vietnam. So these countries, but we can at the moment travel into Cambodia. And we, you know, so we need to get in there see, and be able to support the right people as well. I see so many posts and requests. Oh, can you help? Not necessarily around the dog meat trade, but dogs generally from Indonesia, Philippines, wherever. As much as you'd like to help them all. I'm also very, very aware that there is a lot of scams going on in Asia by individuals who realize that by posting a picture of a dog on Facebook and saying, please help me, we hear people raising nearly a million baht in Thailand. That's about 30000 a bit more than $30,000 from one Facebook post that they post that goes viral online. And people are donating that person. We know of cases where that dog is, t- is totally false. It's not even a dog. Wow. That's a fact of life. Sadly, a lot of it's, it's very difficult for people when they see a photo of a dog in need. But really, people, as far as possible, should try and look into the organization. I mean, the fact that I hope that understand they can go on to line and, they'll, for example, Soy Dog, you can see we publish our accounts. We've, we've got the highest rating with GuideStar and great nonprofits and one thing and another. And to get that, you're investigated, you're looked into. If you even just go on to TripAdvisor, we get emails from, oh, sorry, dog is a scam. It doesn't even exist. So our shelter doesn't, it's not there. People say that about us too. I know. <laughs> We're all make-believe. <laughs> you go on again, but you can go on a TripAdvisor and you know, you'll see thousands. You'll see we're actually top-rated attraction in Phuket for animal lovers, you know, of the natural things. And you see what people say. So. The, all these hundreds of thousands of people who visited us are obviously, but people go out there and, you know, they're trying to dis- they're just trying to discredit. That's a fact. So I'm sorry, going off topic again, but if you want to get back onto that. No, I think it's what you're saying is really important though. And I feel like you've touched on so many important points. I mean, of course, like the heartbreak element that like draws people in convinces them to donate. And I think what you've made such an important point of like looking looking into the organization that you're donating to is such an important point, especially when you're donating internationally mm-hmm. and places where you can't just go next door and knock on someone's door, like a shelter door and say, hi, I'd like to look at your operation. <laughs> I mean, also, I just have to say from all these methods that you've talked about, you guys are pretty revolutionary. You're you're pretty punk rock with the way that you're you're working through this dog meat trade. I mean, working with institutions and doing all these different things and kind of like working within the system in a in a really interesting way. And I feel like that has got to be paving the way for other organizations as well there, right? It's got to be guiding them if you were able to make big changes in Thailand, it's kind of paved the way to show other regions how they can change things as well. If you'd have asked me back in 2000, I mean, 2007, we, we were still tiny. It was nothing. We could have any big impact on the dog meat trade. It wasn't until 2011 that we decided to try and do something about it. If even then you'd have asked me, would we see an end to the dog meat trade in Thailand in my lifetime? I'd have said no, but we'll do what we can to, to forward the, the fact that we did get it banned in sort of three years was amazing. But I said there is that element of luck comes in. And to me, actually, COVID. Out of something bad, often something good comes. And if you like, even the soy dog with the tsunami, after the tsunami, we put us on the map a bit. So we were able to, we became better known and we were able to do more work. In terms of, in Thailand, the military coup, not a good thing to happen, military coups, but nevertheless, it led to something. COVID is, effects of COVID, terrible, devastating, but it could, in my opinion, lead to something that, could help animal welfare generally. If it's jumped on properly enough, and I'm with it's a couple of committees now that are dealing with the United Nations and one thing or another to try and change the health aspects to, to increase the, improve the health for all animals, not dogs and cats, but generally it's across, it's across the board. And we're even working now, just a guy contacted me the weekend, we're involved with 
who's working with UNESCO, etc., to, to looking at the impact of cruelty on animals on children in the world and the impact this has on them and the way it moulds them and changes their attitudes and basically getting UNESCO to recognise the United Nations Charter, which says children should be heard. So there's different ways of doing it. But for the moment, for me, COVID offers such a great opportunity. And it does bug me a bit when I see the same old things coming out. Come on, donate today. Just let us help to stop the Yulin Festival. So look, there are tens of thousands of dogs slaughtered and eaten for meat in Yulin every year. It's not about a week in June. Mm-hmm. It's the entire year it's going on. Dogs, thousands, dogs, thousands of dogs are killed for the dog meat industry in Yulin every month. It's not just the Yulin. But the Yulin Festival as such, sad to say, if it wasn't for activists have done a good job exposing it and highlighting it, but it's now over. But people, it's a good way to raise funds. People will raise funds to stop Yulin. But do you look at the news, look at the press articles now from the last year? There's very little about it because it's not really happening. So the reality is, yeah, dogs are still being slaughtered. But I know the last photos that were shown by, again, that same individual we're talking about were taken at a local market. He went down to the local market and took pictures of dogs. Wasn't even during the Yulin Festival when those photos were taken because you can go see dogs for sale in Yulin at markets any day of the week. Different markets, like big cities, markets, different days around the city. And there's dog meat for sale and dogs for sale. All these restaurants selling dog meat. What we should be focusing on and what the funds that could be used, maybe not so much in China because China is such huge country and really we can do, you know, it can have a negative impact sometimes, the Chinese government more or less. But they are also listening. I mean, you can see they've banned wild animals, you know, nominally they've banned now the import of wildlife. Whether that's actually, again, it's probably still going on underground, but legally that is now, it's now illegal in in China to import wildlife. So they brought that in. That was a result of COVID but also pressure from outside because it's embarrassing to them to be linked to endangered species being brought into China. So that causes embarrassment. And it's the same with the Korea and other countries. It's embarrassing for them. I mean, there's a good point to mention here. People talk about, well, it's their culture. It's their traditions. Now, I'm sorry, culture is something a country is, should be proud of. Now, you look at Korea over the last years, they've hosted a lot of major events, the Winter Olympics not so long ago, the World Cup football, the Olympic Games prior to that. At each of these events, dog meat restaurants in the areas of the events were shut down, closed down temporarily until after, because they didn't. Why would you do that? Surely other customs were being touted they were showing come and see korean dancing come and see other korean food traditional korean food if dog meat is part of your culture and it's something that is part of the people and we should be proud of why is it not out there when you're getting these events why are beijing i mean there's not much dog meat in beijing people don't always realize this in china you've got three southern provinces where dog meat is very very big business and one in the northeast, which actually borders North Korea, where some of the cruelest practices go on, and where a lot of the interceptions go of trucks being driven up through there, because a lot of them have been transported illegally. But this is what people should be focusing on, looking at what is legal and what isn't legal. Philippines is a good example. Dog meat was banned in the Philippines, except for religious reasons. So it still goes on in one part of the Philippines in the north, and they use it as a loophole. But again, to my mind, what we did in Thailand to actually probably get Filipino groups that could raise the funds to actually pay rewards to Filipino police to intercept rather than turn a blind eye to these transports of dogs going up to the northern part of the Philippines in particular could have an impact. They'll use a defense, religious ceremonies and things. But again, it's 90% banned in the Philippines should be pushed on further to get it totally back. And we've seen recently, yeah, a couple of states in Indonesia or cities in Indonesia have now banned dog meat. 
Once it's banned, and then police have arrested again of illegally transporting dogs because it's been banned, it's illegal. The first step is get it banned. If it's not banned, then you can't really do a lot other than going in and buying dogs. Right. What does that do? Not a lot. You've got to focus. And when I see sort of large international organizations who have a lot of money behind them could and have millions and millions of dollars that in bank accounts that could be spending money so in Korea on working, you know, on again, working on government members of the uh, Korean parliament, recruited people, advertising campaigns on Korean television, showing that it's not cool to eat dogs. You know, it's, uh, I mean, a one Korean tell me actually the way they eat dog meat there, particularly, again, it's very popular. Generally, it's more popular with young men and they eat, drink beer with it, but it makes you smell. Dog meat actually makes, comes through your pores and it makes you smell. So I was thinking, well, why did they focus on an ads with pretty young women sort of holding their nose up because, oh, he's been eating dog meat, you know, something like, I don't, you know, and there's different tacks you can use. There's different ways of doing it. And to actually, but that costs money. Absolutely. People don't donate. I'll tell you how much money we spent on in Vietnam on doing this sort of thing. And it doesn't raise money because unless we can show actually taking dogs out of cages and rescuing them one thing or another, that would raise money. But to me, it's fake. Well, I mean, to that point then, I mean, there are so many people who, of course, bleeding hearts of the world <laughs> want to help these animals, want to help change things. And I'm wondering, like all these people who they want to put whatever little bit they can towards supporting the, this change. I'm wondering if you have any suggestions for them, if there are like, I know you said without government change, it's hard to do hardly anything. So like, are there, would you direct them to any like petitions or certain places to donate? Or are there other ways that a nor like a, a person that maybe isn't in the region could make a difference there? Mm -hmm. I think there are ways of doing it. I mean, there are people active in, particularly in California, where you've got a large Korean population. I mean, there's Korean embassy and whatever. And in, in terms of people do protest there, and it does make no doubt about it, this goes back to the Korean government. And if you could do it, you know, instead of just doing it once or twice, maybe, and then forgetting about it, if it was done regularly, you have people week in, week out, or at least going and demonstrating outside the Korean embassy, then you're going to, it's going to make, hit the, start hitting the press, and it's going to make an impact. I mean, people talk about, boycotting goods. I mean, I'm not sure about that, whether it has, has, has ever worked or has any impact. I mean, it's a, it's a personal thing probably, but yeah, if you, uh, and it's very difficult now in what is, uh, if you buy an Apple computer, it's made in China. Mm -hmm. It's all the, and the chips are probably made in Korea. So it's very difficult to, to actually do things. Yes, you could, there's household names. I mean, Korea, like the car manufacturers and everything, but and there is a school of thought, of course, that in Korea, the big companies like Samsung and whatever do hold an awful amount, a lot of power in terms of government decisions. So it's, does it help? I'm not going to advocate, you know, and it would be such a huge thing to have any impact or whatever, but certainly for people just to write to big companies like that, please do something, you know, about this. I love your products, but it, I hate what your country is doing in terms of even things like that. It's do that. And I'm not saying don't donate to organizations asking for your help. What I'm saying is look at how the money is being spent. What has been going on? Does it make sense to you? And I was talking to somebody recently who wanted to do something directly in Korea. And I thought, well, honestly, look, at the moment, we are not operating in Korea. We've done, we did spend quite a bit of money in Seoul. We had, huge billboards on the top of our buildings. We had buses, sides of buses. And now in Seoul, actually, all dog meat markets are banned and very few restaurants now in the city where area we were working on. Now they've all been no restaurants are selling dog meat. So it can have an impact. But again, it's very expensive to do continually without income coming in for it. And 
a lot of funding again is restricted so people will donate for to do this in thailand or whatever and we can't just say oh, well, we're going to use that to advertise for dogs in korea but i would tell this guy what was he wanted to make a large donation and he was wanted to donate to a particular charity in the states and i said fine go ahead and do that but try and ask them to look you want your donation restricted and you want it to be used for advocacy in korea rather than just paying for a dog meat for transporting what he would donate was quite a big donation maybe getting 30 40 dogs transported from to the us which will be covered by any other donations anyway try and specify how you want it ask them what they're doing in terms of advocacy what are they doing ask them well show me what you're doing and ask them ask to spend it on that you're making but it's very difficult for people look i'm not critical of people who are donating to to save a dog from you and of course like you said people are moved by it and they want to do something they want to help and so you can't criticize somebody for wanting to donate and they donate whether their money is being used as they would, would be they thought it would be used and whether they understand the implications of their money, even if it is used for that purpose, say, to buy a dog at Yulin Festival and save its life, the reality is that dog's probably been brought in especially to sell to activists, local activists. If there's demand for a 1,000 dogs over a period at the Yulin Festival now, because it's nothing like it used to be all over the place, it doesn't happen like that anymore. But if, say, there was demand for a 1,000 dogs to be eaten over Yulin Festival, it doesn't matter if activists buy a thousand dogs, another thousand will come in. Reality, there will be no shortage of meat for people to eat at Euling, whenever it's legal for them to do so. So heartbreaking. Well, so is there one final thing that you wanted to leave anyone with after I feel like we've gone into so much, but I feel like it's so important and it's so much that I feel like people aren't aware of. So is there one final thing that you want to? Be sure people take away. Well, I'd say don't be, don't go away think feeling negative and thinking I can't do it because you can. And there's no doubt about it. As I said, if one thing, all this activity about Yulin, certainly when it was a major festival, you know, so when it became switched to from lychee to lychee and dog meat, all the publicity that was generated because the media would go over there and follow the activists has certainly had an impact in getting the Yulin authorities in Yulin to ban it as far as they will take it, it no longer exists. But dog meat exists in Yulin. So really, you know, the next method should be to try and get the authorities in Yulin to follow Shenzhen and to ban dog meat in Yulin as a city. That would be great. But that's going to be really, I think, I say our friends at World Dog Alliance sort of using their influence with national level will be the ones that maybe can get the change there in terms of getting new laws in to actually ban dog meat. Because we're partway there now in China, with at least the government now recognising it's dog meat. In terms of message, yeah, continue. Look, there's a huge need in Asia. And one of the things, one of the things we, we were aware of, by stopping the dog meat in the northeast of Thailand, that means, as I mentioned before, the authorities saw it as a way also of keeping the population of dogs down because local people, excess puppies, you got the, you used to call them bucket dogs. People, local guys would go around in trucks and swap dogs, unwanted dogs for buckets, plastic buckets and or small amount of money. And then they would be transported on and on and on to huge things. It is also, when you actually ban the dog meat trade in some of these poorer countries, and apply to Korea necessarily, but poorer countries, if you do, and this is Vietnam, and there's nothing in place to take its place, then you've got problems. And obviously, that's one of the reasons why in Thailand, though, I mean, our main focus, I mean, we, we, we sterilize, I told you last time, more dogs than any organization anywhere in the world. And it's still masses to do because it's a follow-up. It's not just, right, oh, we've got the dog meat banned. Great. What happens to then the excess dogs? Because there's hardly any vets in these poorer areas of Thailand. Therefore, you've got to go in and you've got to be doing something about it. Or you just end up with a dog explosion and then people will be cruelty to dogs or they'll be, it'll foster 
an underground growth again of the dopamine trade. You've got not an alternative. So this isn't a plea for donations, it isn't. What I'm saying is you look at the whole picture, but don't stop campaigning to end the dog meat trade. Well, if you do, it's fine, but it's a case of, yeah, be realistic as well sometimes. Think about it and try and try and look into if it's possible the person may be, particularly if it's an individual person you're donating to, an individual in China could be genuine, could be totally false. Plenty of the latter. Absolutely. Very difficult to look into people from a distance, as you say. Oh my gosh, that's so true, especially nowadays, I feel like. Thank you so much for getting into this with us because I feel like it's touched on so many points that just aren't very obvious to people and aren't being promoted in a lot of the media. So I think this is going to be so, so informative. Thank you so much for carving a little bit out of your morning for us. No problem. Always a pleasure. Nice speaking to you again. You too. We were so honored that John was willing to come back to shed some light on everything going on with the dog meat trade. It's incredible to hear his point of view about the economics of everything and how things are changing. It's important to hear and I also think very hopeful. There's a lot of change on the horizon, so don't lose faith. If you want to learn a little bit more about the dog meat trade and Soy Dog International, you can check our show notes and our blog. And as always, remember to rate, like, and subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to follow Cuddly on all social media accounts at We Love Cuddly, C-U-D-D-L-Y. Thanks, guys.